I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I am your host Simon. What happens here is Casey has written us a script on Decker, the Poltergeist Rain Boy. I, as always, am going to read it. It's about poltergeists. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Uh, so this is 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 going to be fun. Jen, afterwards, our wonderful video editor, is going to, uh, well, edit the video. That's what she does. Let us get into it. Hi, Simon. Oh, no, I am supposed to read this. This is uh, for broadcast. Hi, Simon. I know you're going to want to dump all over this being the skeptical, level-headed chap that you are. Yes, I take all of that as a compliment. Often people are like, Simon, couldn't you be a little bit more open-minded? And I'm like, yo, yo. People have been talking about ghosts for a really long time and poltergeists and supernatural and all of this stuff. And all we have to show for it is absolutely nothing. And there's this absolute legend called James Randi, who was like, he died recently, RIP, you absolute legend. And he was like, yo, if you can prove to me and meet these criteria that, you know, ghosts or whatever, I can't even remember exactly what it was, exist, I'll give you like a million dollars. It wasn't a million dollars, it was a lot of money. And no one ever could, which says something about it, doesn't it? But I mean, if you want to believe, believe, that's fine. I don't mind. I just think you're a little silly. But just take a moment to hear the story before poo-pooing it so readily. Okay, I'm going in with an open mind, Katie. Maybe there are really some things that can't be explained away. Do you think you could do it? Okay, this episode is not a strange 80s movie mashup in which a young Dustin Hoffman makes playing cards fly about by themselves. It's about Don Decker, a man who was possessed by a demon and acquired the ability to make it rain indoors. Um, except no, he didn't. <laughs> No, hush now. <laughs> Katie, I swear I don't read these ahead of time. Katie knows exactly what I'd be saying at that point. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> She's like, shut up and listen to the story, fact boy. Okay, I'm going in with an open mind. Let me see if I can be persuaded. And I just wanted to pull something out here. Maybe there are some things that can't be explained away. Fully accept that. There are some things that cannot be explained. But you know how they will be explained eventually? It's not by ghosts. It's not by any of that sh- It's by science isn't it? That's how it will eventually be shown. Don Decker and the Mysterious Moisture. I feel like that's a better name for this whole episode. In February 1983, Don Decker, who sounds a lot like he could be a minor character from Mad Men, was granted a furlough from his jail in the Pocona Mountains, Pennsylvania, to go to his grandfather's funeral. He was not considered dangerous or violent and was on a 4-12-month stretch for receiving stolen goods. Apparently, his time out of jail was for several days with no police officer with him. Uh, at the at the risk of sense telling the story again i've tro- told that story the time i bought a stolen drone you know like a photography drone by accident off ebay i fortunately didn't get four to twelve months in prison i know buying stolen goods is a crime but you have to know you're doing it right you can't just buy a drone off ebay for a reasonable price and then be guilty of a crime i mean i hope not at least otherwise 
well, I'm guessing I'm going to have to face the music for that at some point. Anyway, Don was allowed out of jail for a few days uh, for this sad family occasion, but it wasn't particularly sad for him. That's because, according to Don, his grandfather had been abusive to him since he was seven years old. That sounds like an absolute double win for Don, doesn't it? It's like, yes, abusive grandfather's dead, and I get to go out of jail for his funeral. And by funeral, I mean I'm going to go to the pub. Because, granddad. We only have Don's word for it, but it does seem pretty low to not believe him about something like this, so let's go and give him the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why would we not believe this? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, granddad abused me. Why are you lying, Don? I'm not lying. I have no reason not to believe you. Yet, Don. Yet. His grandfather died from cirrhosis of the liver, and although I'm not a medical professional, it's more than likely that this was caused by alcohol abuse, giving Don's claim more credence. The funeral was an upsetting time for Don, as he was seeing his abuser lauded and celebrated by the rest of the party while he kept his dark secret to himself. I just not go. He's not got any police with him. Just go to the pub. It's okay, Don. After a while, Don said goodbye to his not-beloved relative and went to stay the night with his friends Bob and Jenny Kiefer. There are conflicting reports as to why he didn't stay with his family, either he wanted nothing to do with them or vice versa, but whatever the reason, he stayed that night at the house of his pals in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Maybe because he wanted to see his friends at the same time. It's like, yo, yo, family, I'll see you at the funeral, then afterwards I'm going to go to the pub with my dear friends Bob and whoever. While washing his hands in the upstairs bathroom prior to having dinner, Don started to feel very weird and saw a vision of an old man wearing a crown that was looking at him through a window that had appeared out of nowhere. Sounds realistic. Or either that, or Don has mental health difficulties. <laughs> there was a sense of intense evil in the air, and as the vision disappeared, Don saw that he had deep bleeding scratches on his wrist. I feel a sense of impatience from you, Mr. Whistler. <laughs> How could you tell, Katie? How could you tell? So far, so laughable, right? Well, hold on. We're getting to the good bit. As he went back downstairs to sit with Bob and Jenny, uh, is it Jenny? Genie? Genie, maybe. Genie. Bob and Genie. A change came over Don, and he seemed to be in some sort of trance state. As his friends started asking about the blood on his arm, he told them, that it had been Satan, <laughs> as you do. All of a sudden, water started dripping from the walls and the ceiling of the living room, what can only be described as a homeowner's nightmare. Oh my god. <laughs> Once I absolutely did this in my own home, but it wasn't because I was like magically possessed by Satan. Uh, I grew up in this old, like, it was it Edwardian or Victorian house. It was really old, really old. And uh, I we had an upstairs bathroom, obviously, and it had this big old like iron. I don't know if it's iron. It was some sort of weird metal, and it was so old that you know that emergency water. You know where the bath gets too full, and then there's that thing to take the water out. This bath was so old that there was that that was just entirely blocked by lime scale. And I started running a bath. It must have been like 13, 14 years old. Absolutely forgot about it. And my parents were on holiday, and uh, yeah, that bath overflowed. And the down to the utility room, which was directly beneath the bathroom, was absolutely flooded the out of. Like, the water was dripping from the ceiling. It was like Satan had possessed me. Luckily for the Kaifers, they were renting the property on Ann Street, so Bob got straight onto the phone on the, with the landlord and awesome name owner, Ron Van Wy. Legend. By the time he turned up, the water was still appearing, but weirdly, only in the living room. I know what you're thinking. Obviously a burst pipe there. Well, no, smarty pants. According to the landlord, the plumbing was all in the back of the house, so there were no pipes going over the living room. That's Van Wy. Did they turn the water off in an attempt to stop the deluge? I don't know. This doesn't appear to have occurred to anyone, and as it was restricted to the living room, it seems that there were weirder things afoot. Oh, well, the other day, 
I just wake up in the middle of the night and my wife's like, the bathroom's flooded. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I go in the bathroom and there's the, the pipe by the shower is just absolutely spraying everywhere. I immediately turn off the master watercock. Because that's what you do. Anyway, Ron Van Wye said that not only was water coming down the walls, drops were also drifting from wall to wall and even coming up into the air from the floor in a display that shattered the laws of physics and gravity. Now that's a little more weird. I'm not sure like shutting off the master water is going to stop the whole gravity thing. Unsure of what to do, he called the local police. My first thought might have been a plumber, but that's Van Wye for you. Enter officers Richard Walbert and rejected Le Miserable clamor character Jean Beaujean. Nowadays, you might not be so quickly inclined to believe the words of a police officer just because they're a police officer, but both men had gone on the record to state that they experienced the same thing as the Kaifers and Van Wy. Robert described ever entering the house and being absolutely pelted. Both men say they saw a droplet of water travel horizontally between them and go out of the room. The timeline gets a little muddled here, with some sources saying that the rest of the events played out on the same night, while others say that the next stage happens the next day. Either way, there's nobody had a clue what to do and Decker was just sitting there the whole time. At some point, the Kaifers and Decker left the house to get some food and the police officers called their chief to include him in the crazy happenings that were going on on Ann Street. Ron Van Wye noted that as soon as the group left the house, the interior rain dried up. Across the street was a pizza restaurant, so the Kaifers and Don went in there for some food. The proprietor, a certain Ms. Pam Scrifano, had apparently visited the Kaifer house earlier in the proceedings and was familiar with the whole indoor rain thing, as you are. She also noticed that Don was behaving a bit weirdly and seemed to be in some sort of trance. Seemingly given to jumping to conclusions, Pam Scrafano declared that it looked like Don was possessed, as if in confirmation water started coming down the pizza restaurant walls as well. So now it's raining inside the restaurant. Vindicated, Pam did the only sensible thing you could do when faced with a water-summoning demon. I get the feeling the the next line is going to be ridiculous. She headed to the cash register and pulled, pulled out a crucifix, as one does. Why she had a crucifix in the cash register is not explained. Although, as the owner of a pizza restaurant, you probably are subjected to many unholy encounters throughout your tenure, so it's a good idea to have one handy. She forced the crucifix against Don's skin, and according to her and Don, it burned him. So yes, the definitive textbook proof of demonic possession. It was at this point that things finally seemed to click, and Don realized that he wasn't just hanging about in buildings with terrible plumbing issues. It was he himself that was making it rain. <laughs> this, is, this is so ridiculous. And this is one of those things where it's like, all right, all right, so obviously something weird's going on. There are a lot of people involved for this just to be made up somehow. But I mean, unless I saw it myself, there is... Uh, and even if I did see it myself, I'd still be like, there is a rational explanation. And that's like, obviously not everything can be explained away. Like, I cannot explain this. I don't have close to enough information. But what I do know is it's not Don the Poltergeist possessed by a demon and his burning flesh. It's just a bit silly. Dampening the toppings was not doing anything to endear him to Pam, so the party left once again and went back to the Kaifer's place. If you thought you'd heard the last of the good names, we're going to pull another one out of the bag here, possibly named after the priciest salad on the menu at TJI Fridays. It's Ron's wife, Romaine Van Wye. 
Van Wise, such a good name. He's that is like gotta be Dutch or something. As soon as Don got back inside, the rain started up again, and Remain and Jenny Kiefer started yelling at Don to just get a hold of himself and stop ruining the soft furnishings. Perhaps miffed at being yelled at, possessed Don reacted in a totally predictable way. First, all the pots and pans started banging about by themselves. Then Don levitated off the floor and flew across the room. I suppose after that, the women felt bad about having a go at him, as he wasn't thrown out or asked to leave, which might have been a decent idea. You know, hey Don, why didn't you go out and stand in the garden and help my beans along? <laughs> or whatever. I'll just get the hell out of my house and stop ruining shit. I don't care if you're possessed by a demon or have just set up some weird sprinkler system in my living room. Either way, I want you out, Don. You're ruining my sofa. Shortly after this, police officers Warbert and Baojan returns with their chief Gary Roberts in tow. Disappointingly for them, instead of being wowed at the indoor rain shower and giving everybody promotions, the chief was totally dismissive, writing it off as a plumbing issue. I like you, chief. Telling the officers to telling the officers off for wasting his time and forbidding them to mention it again or make this into a police matter. In an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that aired a decade after the events in Stroudsburg, Officer Baojan said of the chief's reaction, quote, I got the impression that he was put on the spot, maybe a little embarrassed, like we expected something out of him that he could answer. There was no way to explain what happened. I think he was put in a position where he might have felt a little uncomfortable. He just flat out denied it. It didn't happen, and he tried to convince me that nothing happened. And he wasn't going to do that. I saw it, and that's all there is to it. Except you're saying he, you saw it, and you're saying the chief saw it, and then is lying about not seeing it, which is a bit weird. Like, I feel that you, like random police officer coming to this, have a reason to lie. It's like, ah, oh, you know, it's a little bit of fame. You're going to appear on a TV show. The chief has absolutely nothing. Like, what's he got to gain by saying that it didn't happen? Like, what? I can't spot it. Ignoring the chief's orders, the police officers, of course, told their colleagues about the mysterious events going on in the Kaifa house, and the next day, two more of them headed over. Yes, I know the timeline seems to be dragging on. Presumably, it was raining all night in the living room, too. I'm not sure. And if this had been me, spending more time with a possessed criminal playing havoc with my rental deposit would not be what I'd choose to be doing. The next team of officers showed up again, and Don was acting all sullen and dopey and trance-like. In a reenactment in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, it shows the police officers putting a paper bag over Don's head and then, without him seeing, pressing another crucifix onto his hand. Is this correct police procedure? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure is. It's about, as, it's about as right as everything else in this episode. If only cell phones were around in those days. Anyway, according to Officer Bill Davies, quote, We're standing there and I give Mr. Decker this gold cross to hold. Next thing he says is it's burning my hands. And there's no explanation for it. When you picked it up, when you grabbed it, it's not hot hot, but it's hot. And I held on to it. Well, good for you, Mr. Davies. I think we've already established from the whole cash register crucifix episode that Don was undoubtedly possessed. Even if there is some like supernatural goings on, to then tie it into like religion and crucifixes is even just more silly. You see, it's just like no, no, don't know. He also did the whole levitating and flying across the room thing again when the officers rushed over to him, and he had three deep scratches on his neck. 
cure everyone freaking out. Nobody had ever experienced anything like it. As Don was still on his furlough break and hadn't committed any crimes, the police officers left him be and went back to work. On Don's final night before going back to jail, the Van Wise, after exhausting the go-to priests for exorcisms around the Stroudsburg area, eventually found a priest to come to their house and try to expel the rain demon from within Don Decker. And it worked! As she prayed, the Van Wise and the Kaifers saw Don shudder and convulse in the way possessed people do when there's a battle for their body and soul. Everyone knows that, and it's not from real life, it's from movies. Fictional movies. Also, this guy, Don Decker, definitely has something to gain from this, right? Like, he's supposed to be in prison for this thing, and I don't know if, like, he's possessed or whatever. They're gonna, you know, is he gonna be allowed out of prison for a longer time because they want to get to the bottom of this possession or whatever i don't know it just is so unbelievable it's silly finally he seemed to snap out of his trance and return trance and return to his mob man itself the rain also ceased and the property never had the problem again after the world's least relaxing time away from jail don had to go back but this time he took with him the knowledge that he could somehow control water he was put in a cell with another man and decided to test his new powers out again and you know what within minutes there was water rising out of the concrete prison floor water flying horizontally and his cellmate was yelling to be moved to another room i feel like that is something that there's going to be documented evidence of like it's a prison right they're gonna write that in some sort of prison journal a guard came along to see what all the commotion was and don told him that he was causing the water to do this and he had the ability to make it rain Oh yes, said the guard. Make it rain in the warden's office then, tough guy. That's not a direct quote, it just feels like how the guard would talk. <laughs> it's like, yes. The unsuspecting warden, Dave Keenhold, was minding his own beeswax in his office when another officer came in to let him know what the kerfuffle was about with the rain boy when he gasped and told Keen to Keenhold to look at his shirt. There was no rain cloud in the warden's office, but a large damp patch had appeared on his shirt. Yes, I know. Let's keep the skepticism until the end of the story, please. Okay, okay, Katie. I will hold my tongue. Come on, we're nearly at the end. You can do it. <laughs> I've just ruined it so many times. Katie has to remind me not to be a d This freaked the warden out so much that he called for the second divine intervention in as many days, and the Reverend William Blackburn answered the call. After talking with Don for a few minutes, the Reverend noticed a change come over him and suddenly smelled something terrible, like the stench of death. Extremely creepily, Don leaned forward, and here's what the reverend said next. He raised his hand and rubbed his fingers together. All of a sudden, it started to rain. It was like the devil's rain. It was a mist. I was in the presence of evil. I opened up the Bible and started to read to him, but the pages never got wet. So help me. It was a frightening thing. I sure do hope he was like yelling in like a deep southern preacher, like the televangelist preacher, like, and God dispelled you from these pages. You know, that sort of thing. That's how I'm imagining this. This is like a movie and not fact. As Blackburn read the Bible at him, a look came over Don and the foreboding atmosphere, as well as the rain, it lifted. It was the last occurrence of Don's strange rain summoning powers, but still offered no real explanation as to what had been going on explanations <laughs> now let's dig into it okay so you've been waiting ever so patiently to bash this story i've been anything but patient katie not patient at all so let's go through a few of the details now there are some elements that can be explained or at least alternative theories that can be offered we'll start with the whole possession element it's a nice neat story that after the death of his wicked grandfather don is possessed and tormented by the demon of an old man was it the spirit of his grandfather 
Don seems to think that it was, stating in an Unsolved Mysteries episode, And as for my grandfather, I think what had happened was his doing. Because he abused me when I was young, you had a chance to abuse me again. This episode was filmed ten years after the events with not much press in between. However, there was no mention of the old man with a crown demon vision in the show. In fact, it wasn't mentioned until the case was televised again in an episode of Paranormal Witness in 2011, so it's not outside the realms of possibility that Don's story was sexed up to create stories storylines that weren't originally there shocking and also like there's the motivation right you're making up some sort of paranormal story so you can go on these paranormal shows and sell your bullshit to someone who's probably paying you something small or maybe just you know you get some craft services so you get a free lunch i mean it's all very silly isn't it looking back that might not have been the best phrase to use but you get what i mean regarding the trance state yes he probably was feeling pretty weird after his grandfather's funeral maybe he had sunk into some sort of depression or was suffering from ptsd after the abuse that he had suffered this would make his behavior seem odd but it wouldn't mean he was possessed it's also highly yes <laughs> someone looks a bit disgruntled and sort of just sad stare uh, not disgruntled what's the word um dis something like just sort of sitting there staring off into space like or melancholic <laughs> i know it's melancholic uh but i mean that doesn't mean you're possessed does it does it it's also highly possible that he himself caused the scratches on his arm either knowingly or unknowingly if he was in a deep funk once one person such as pam scrofano of the pizza place has got it in the heads that there's devilry about it's probably easy to convince other people who have also witnessed some weird that this is the cause. A priest reading the Bible to you might act as some sort of relief because everyone knows that that's how you're supposed to help someone who is apparently possessed. <laughs> everyone knows this. Possession's a real thing. Except it's not. It's almost always mental illness and reading a Bible at them ain't gonna do d- You can also fake being burned by a crucifix by just saying that it burns. Did anyone try any other shaped metal on Don to see if it had any effect? No, they went straight for the tried and true cross shape. I'm not saying Don was deliberately trying to pretend that he was possessed, just that it might have been in such a weird state that it just all happened and he was taken along with it. Him levitating and flying around the room could potentially just have been him throwing himself around, but why this whole story has endured as a mystery is that there were nine other eyewitnesses to many of these events who have gone on record to state what they saw. And many of these were serving police officers who could have been putting their reputations and therefore their jobs on the line by sticking to this bizarre story. There's a line of thought that states that what we sometimes refer to as poltergeist activity, for example the rattling of pots and pans and Don being thrown around the room, is a manifestation of adolescent energy, as this kind of thing usually occurs around teenagers. Don was 21 at the time, and while it making no judgments on him being a late bloomer, maybe his distress was channeled this way. Another thing that's a bit fishy about this part of the story is that everyone seems to have jumped straight to possession and not some sort of medical issue. Yeah, I feel this possession of this kind of feels like an excuse for improper diagnosis and mental issues. If my friends had been acting strangely for a while and had deep scratches on his arms, my first thought might be to consult a medical practitioner or mental health professional, not my local ghostbuster. That local ghostbuster should be far, far, far down your list. It's not possible to say now if these things actually happened as reported or whether the real events were blown up by the witnesses' minds due to the other strange happenings, coercion by TV producers, and the passage of time, but if we really must, we could probably discount the whole possession part of the story. 
dismissed it before you even got started. Which brings us on to the rain. Some of the elements here can be explained. Let's get back to Warden Keenhold's shirt. If you remember, Don was in jail and had been challenged to make it rain in the warden's office. When another officer had gone in there, the warden was made aware of a wet patch on his shirt, which frightened him so much that he called an exorcist. This seems like the most easily explainable part of the story. That patch could have been anything. He could have been sitting under a real leak. He could have been sweating. He could have splashed his shirt when he was washing his hands. There are so many possibilities here. So I'm just ignoring this one, as quite frankly, it's kind of stupid. Moving on, being caught in an indoor rainstorm in one house is weird, in two locations is even weirder, but in three, it's more than a coincidence. Don was the only person to experience all these indoor rain shenanigans, so it stands to reason that it was him that was the target or the cause. People have tried to explain the interior rain and the Kythaus as being linked to the weather. Researcher and skeptic Robert Bartholomew has posited that the rain inside the Kythaus was due to a weather condition known as ice damming. This occurs when snow or ice on a roof is melted due to warmer air in the attic beneath it. This creates pools of water which can then leak into the house. There had been a snowstorm not long before these events which might lead you to believe that this might be the answer until you remember that this happens in a downstairs room and the room above it was perfectly fine. And if this was a weather-related thing, wouldn't some people have been familiar with it and be like, oh yeah, it's just another ice-damming leak, instead of being totally awestruck by the water, which I remind you is stated to have been flowing in all kinds of directions, not just dripping down. And it surely can't have happened in all three locations that Decker was in over those few days. So, how can we explain this? The short answer is that we can't. The only non-mysterious explanation is that this whole thing was just a hoax. The evidence that points away from hoax, though, is that, again, nine people have been recorded more than once swearing to what they saw. This includes a man of God, a prison warder, and John Bojan, who had gone on to become the regional police chief when he told the story again for Paranormal Witness. I mean, why would everybody involved keep lying about it? What would anyone in this story have gotten to gain? Now, like I said, small TV appearance fees or something, a little bit of fame. People are weird. An increase in footfall to the pizza place? Hardly. The first TV show came out a decade after the events happened, and two TV shows in almost 30 years isn't exactly raking in the big bucks for keeping up such a pretense. You might expect one or two people to maybe carry it on for the minor fame, I'm looking at you, Pam Scrafano, but for several police officers to maintain their stories even when it could cast doubt on their judgment and, quite frankly, their sanity, is quite compelling. I'd agree. It's a lot of people to, like, get in on something and make it up i guess like it's a combination of the two that would be my guts like it's a hoax perpetrated by maybe the main dude and the kaifers and then they call the police and the police see and they're like nah it's real even though it's a hoax probably a combination of the two is what i would say so maybe not a hoax a prank then played by decker himself on these unsuspecting witnesses okay here we go this was my idea pretty weird prank and how could he have pulled it off in three places unless he was some sort of plumbing genius which he was not there is one big flaw in the whole indoor rain story though there's no evidence we literally only have people's word for it nobody took pictures or video of any of the instances of rain or don being possessed or exercised pretty suspicious yeah well yes and no. This was 1983, so people couldn't suddenly whip out a cell phone and start live-streaming what was going on. So what about camcorders? Well, the first consumer camcorder hit the shelves the very same year, and they were large Betamax jobbies that you had to put on your shoulder. So, even in the unlikely event that the Kaifners or the Van Wise were super-early adopters on the home video trend, it's not surprising that nobody thought to pick it up. 
Normal film cameras were very much available, though, but maybe in the wet and evil-feeling atmosphere, it wasn't at the forefront of anybody's mind to snap a few pics to be mailed off to the development lab and then returned a few weeks later, only to find out that most of the blurry shots had been covered by somebody's thumb. Ah, the past. <laughs> I remember when you'd have cameras and they'd have, like, what, 24 or 36 shots per roll of film? You have to send it off, and it was always cheaper if you'd wait like a couple of weeks for them to send the photos back to you. But you had no idea how any photo was until like that came back. And it was always quite exciting, like after holiday, you'd come back and you'd get your photo developed, your photos developed, and then they'd come back and you'd be like, Oh yeah, this was a nice holiday. Look at all these pictures. Like a nice little blast from the past. Whereas today it's all very present, isn't it? I mean it's better. Obviously better. Did nobody think to alert the local media? Apparently not, but again, this doesn't scream hoax to me. You could explain it just as an event that people were trying to get through and were then relieved when it was older, when it was over. Why should they involve the media? There was no evidence and Don's powers had left him, so they had nothing to show. Maybe it was only years later that they realized what a completely unexplainable thing it still was. And what happened to Don Decker after all that? In an ironic twist, the man once known as Rainboy was sent back to jail in 2012 for, guess what? Arson. Yep, for his part in destroying a restaurant and an insurance scam, the man with the power to magically flood it out instead decided to burn it down. Does this cast doubt on him as a reliable narrator of his paranormal moisture-based activities? Yeah. <laughs> but even discounting him as a witness, everyone else is still in play. And if you see footage of Don, he's not a charismatic Svengali figure who could bend people to his will and make them say the things he wants them to say. He's a soft-spoken, unassuming fellow who appears to have had a weird experience for a few days in the 1980s. Paranormal investigators have taken great interest in this case, mainly because of the credibility of the witnesses, and have been unable to come up with any plausible explanation for the appearance of the gravity-defying indoor rain. One of them, Peter Jordan, said in the Unexplained Mysteries episode, quote, The Donald Decker case is by far the singularly most fascinating and important case I have ever personally been involved in. That does not mean I believe that it necessarily is proof positive to me of demonic infestation. But it is the case, in my own personal experience up to this point, that comes the closest to that hypothesis. <laughs> Way to hedge your bets there, Peter. Yeah, this is, I mean, if this is the most compelling thing ever, I'm like, yeah, but it could have been a hoax that a couple of people fell for, and then it spread around. It's like, that's the most compelling ever, really? So, Don Decker, real-life rain boy and poltergeist vessel, complete hoax monkey or traumatized young man who's at the center of some extremely strange occurrences. Maybe this one really can be filed as unknown. So, I really hope you enjoyed that little episode there. If you did, please do. If you're watching this, make sure you smash that like button. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're just listening to this show in its podcast form, leave it a review. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Your could, review could go something like this. I don't like how Simon constantly laughs at all the paranormal stuff. He makes it seem like he doesn't believe at all, which is disappointing. Go for it. Go for it. Type away. This has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Thank you for watching. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.